Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Testament was written by prophets, poets, construction workers, priests, kings, and shepherds. Okay, so these people were inspired by God, and they wrote the Old Testament, and it was preserved for us. Okay, so there was a place in the temple called the Temple Treasury, where all of these writings were protected by priests. And how we got manuscripts that we have today is that they had people who would copy letter by letter uh, the Old Testament so that we could have it today. Can you imagine that job, right? Can you imagine? And they wouldn't even let them write full sentences. It would be letter by letter writing. And then they'd have people that would go over it all to make sure that it was perfectly written. That would be quite a job, right? And so we're grateful for those people that spent their whole lives doing that. But an amazing thing happened that many of you know of, but possibly not young people, to show us that God was so diligent to preserve this word. There was a time that the oldest manuscript, which is a copy of the Old Testament, was from 900 AD. Okay, that was the the oldest one that we had. Um, And so the most current one, I should say. And so... What happened, which is amazing, that in 1947, there were shepherd boys that were near the Dead Sea, and you know the story, they threw rocks in these caves and they heard a shattering, and what was inside these clay pots were the, what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were copies of the Old Testament from 3 B.C. to 1 A.D., written in those times, copied from those times. And when they took those very old manuscripts and compared them to the 900 AD ones that we had had, those were our oldest ones, they were 95% the same. And the 5% that was different were were things like, we said mountain instead of hill. It was nothing that would have been doctrinally different. And so I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it shows that God was passionate and diligent to preserve the word that we were supposed to have today. Any other historical document that we have is what I read was, you know, take one historical manuscripts that we have copies of. It would be four feet high would be the most that that one subject would have. And the Bible compared to that would be a mile high if you found all the manuscripts that have been unearthed and kept for us to have today. It's quite a difference. I learned about these Essene people. This is why we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. These people, they came out of Jerusalem, right? And they were copying the the Old Testament for us to have today. They also had other spiritual writings and were telling us about what life was like for them then. And they hid them in these clay pots. And then God amazingly has this unearthed For us in these days, if you died in 1946, you would never know that these were unearthed and the comparison of the two manuscripts. But we get to live in these days to know God's passion for preserving the word for us. And so the Old Testament um, was preserved for us. And let's jump into the New Testament. 
the New Testament, as you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the gospels that were written of Jesus's life. They were written of his, his crucifixion, his resurrection. Then we go into the book of Acts where it's written of the first century church, which I think is amazing proof for Jesus's life. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then we have the letters of Paul, and then we have the revelation, right, that John got of future events, okay? And so these manuscripts were then passed among churches, okay? So this is one thing I learned is that they thought Jesus was coming back right away in the first century church, right? He said, I'm coming back soon, Okay, and so they were not making a lot of manuscripts of the New Testament. They were passing them from church to church, all these letters and gospels, and they were sharing them. And then people started to pick and choose what they wanted to take out of those writings. And then the need arose, they saw the need that we need to compile these things and so that we can preserve them just like the Old Testament was preserved. Okay, and so they started this task, right? And in 170 AD, they had 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament that they had said, we've compared enough of these thousands of writings that people have had, and there's enough similarities in all these stories that we think this is solid ground to have this in the New Testament, this and this. And then by 397 AD, they had the whole canonized New Testament. So a lot went into us having this book, and it is solid ground. There is no other historical document that we have as much proof that there's truth than we do of this Bible. And we need to know that because, I don't know about you, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know any of this stuff. I just jumped right in to go, tell me what this book says. But no longer can we just have our kids hand this kit to our kids and say, this is God's word, you should live your life by it, because they are being challenged at every front as to why this is something that's just like, that book, that's an old ancient book written by men, copied, you know how many mistakes there's probably in that book, and you're going to live your life by that? I'm telling you, that is false. It just like we can see that the Old Testament was preserved so well, the New Testament just the same, okay? And when I say culture and people, please know that I'm saying the powers and principalities of darkness that are behind this whole movement, right? I'm not judging people. I'm just, this is like an in-house conversation, you know, mama with other mamas and other papas and young people. So, Please, I want to say, I'm going to say this throughout this. This is just for me as much as it is for you. I hope that I'm not coming back by as judgmental or when I talk about culture, okay? And so um, I, I'm way past this. Can we keep going until I'm where I'm at now? Dead Sea Scrolls. There we go. All right. And so um, this gentleman, his name is Sir Frederick Kenyon. He's an interesting person to read about president of the British School of Archaeology in Jerusalem, early 1900s. This gentleman spent his life learning ancient languages. Mm, that does not sound fun. And he spent his life reading ancient documents that, you know, I appreciate people like this, and I'm glad that wasn't my calling, but the inter... Uh, the interval, then, between the dates of original composition 
and the earliest surviving evidence becomes so small as to be, in fact, negligible, and the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed. He's saying that from his point of view, from a lifetime of study. Both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. And I read about this man's life. It is amazing all that he did to um, prove that these are sure footing that we can live by, right? And so if we can go to the next one. So we've talked about what we know about what we've found from these manuscripts. We've talked about, now we're going to talk about people who were not Christians, who just wrote historical things about things that were going on in the time that they lived. So this guy, Tacitus, 56 AD, right? Jesus hasn't been gone for very long. He's just writing this, not to try to prove anything to anyone, but just a historical document of what's going on. Documented Jesus, his execution by Pontius Pilate, and the existence of early Christians in Rome and their writings. In his, in his writings, he was writing about these early Christians. He wrote about Nero himself, who was blaming the great fire of Rome on an obscure new Jewish religious sect calling themselves Christians, whom he indiscriminately and mercilessly crucified. During gladiator matches, he would feed Christians to lions. He often lit his garden parties with the burning carcasses of Christian human tor torches. So this is just a historical writing of him saying that what this is was going on with these first century people that called themselves Christians. And what does that do to your heart that these people, knowing what was going on with their brothers and sisters, fed to lions, being made human torches, continued to live their faith? They knew something. They were convinced of something. This isn't very long after Jesus is gone. This is like their parents or grandparents had been there maybe to hear Jesus speak. And this is non-Christian writing. Okay, next one. Josephus, 93 AD. Okay, historian, military leader. About this time, there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was one who performed surprising deeds and was a teacher of such people as accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. And when upon the accusation of the principal men among us, Pilate had condemned him to a cross, those who had first come to love him did not cease. He appeared to them, spending a third day restored to life. For the prophets of God had foretold these things and a thousand other marvels, marvels about him. And the tribe of the Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. Next one. Thank you, Brandon. Pliny the Younger, 111 AD, a Roman governor. The whole purpose of him writing this is because he's trying to get advice as to what to do about these people who are calling them Christians. So he's writing the emperor. And he says, they were in the habit on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to any wicked deeds, but never to commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, never to falsify their word, nor deny a trust when they should be called up upon to deliver it up, after which it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of food, but food of an ordinary 
an innocent kind. He wrote that because it was rumored that Christians were cannibals and Pliny was clearing up that rumor. And so we have historical documents from believers and non-believers that um, are showing us that Jesus really lived, really died on a cross, and there are people that were still following him in the first century. What do I have next, Brandon? Okay, then I just wanted to say that, how are we doing? This is a lot of information. Do you feel like you're in school? Okay, church school. Okay, um, writings that are, pro- okay. The disciples wrote embarrassing stories about themselves, not understanding. They wrote about, the th- they, Jesus was talking and we didn't understand what he was talking about. I didn't have enough faith to walk on water. I was afraid. They wrote embarrassing things about themselves. And I don't know about you, I've shared my testimony a few times about how I've been overcome with fear, almost paralyzed, and how Jesus has taken me to an amazing place of sure footing, the miraculous things that God has done in my life. And telling you those stories about my fear and my troubles that I had was embarrassing. But I wanted to tell you because what mattered more to me was for you to know that God delivers people. And these people were in the same place. I don't care about embarrassing stories about myself. I want you to know what Jesus can do in case you're in that place and you know that he could do it for you too. So also they wrote about women being the champions. Men weren't doing that in those days. And so that is a proof to me as well. And also they wrote about, where's this at Matt? 500 people in Acts, 500 people saw the resurrection resurrected Jesus, and they wrote that in a time when those people were still alive, and you could go ask them yourself, right? And they also said the tomb is empty. They told that to people that lived in Jerusalem. They could have gone and seen it themselves. Saw it, whatever that is. (laughs) Okay, and then the first century church were dying for their faith. Um, You wouldn't die for something that you weren't sure of. Would you, would you be lit on fire for something you're just like, yeah, maybe it's true. And I'll just tell you from my personal life, I have personally applied the truths of this book and they are true. The result they say has been the result in my life. The result of forgiving someone has had the result in my life. The result of giving things away has had the result it says that it will have in my life. And if I'm cooking pasta and it says, takes 10 minutes to cook this pasta and I do it exactly how it says, I say those directions are true when the pasta comes out great, right? The same is true here. When we apply these truths to our lives and they do what they say, we we should come to the same conclusion that we would to of everything else in our lives. Okay, that was my favorite part of what I was gonna share today. The second part isn't my favorite, but I'm telling you, I have, I'm gonna take a drink of water. I have been for three decades a school teacher in the school system or a children's pastor and a mom of my own kids, and I have a great passion for children. And I am very, very concerned about what's going on in our culture right now, and I know you are too. And I feel like the Lord put on my heart that we need to have a family conversation about what's going on now because I feel like sometimes you have a in your mind Like, you know things are just so out of sorts. And I just hope I can put some words to some of those things right now. 
And then I want to close it up with us having an agreement of how many hundred of people are here agreeing for change, right? I hope that I am able to put out conversation starters that you can have with your kids. I hope that I can put out today things that you can be aware of, of like things that kind of creep in. Like I'll just tell you at work the other day, this lady, she had this really low cut shirt on. She said, I know my my shirt's really low cut, isn't it? And I was like, you be you. I was like, why did I say you be you? (laughs) Doggone it. I mean, I don't know what I should have said instead. I mean, but I was just like, you be you. I was like, oh yeah, you go girl. That was the right thing to say. But we, get, we fall into this thing, right? Because none of us, none of us want to be that person. And there's a special place to be that person. You want to be in a relationship with someone. You want them to be ask, asking, right? You want them to be follow, try, following the Lord. We don't just throw out all of our pearls, right, to everyone. But if someone's asking, you know, we should be strong and courageous enough to bring light to the situation. And here's why we do it. It's because we know that these ways bring the most life. It's not because we're trying to be right. It's not because we're judging. It's because we care and we love and we know that life is just within this book. Okay. And so here we go, friends. Love y'all. Okay. I know you know I do too. All right. Um, Let's start with me saying that um, when I was growing up, and I was born in the 1960s, and when I was growing up in elementary school, my teacher and then later my coaches and my neighbor and the lady down the street in the grocery store, they all were sharing the same truths with kids, right? They were telling them, be kind and share and don't pick on your brother. And, you know, everybody was in, was helping raise kids, right? And I would say that culture and the word were kind of parallel. People held Christian values, whether they knew they were from the Bible or not. The values were very closely aligned, right? And now we've taken a hard turn. And we have, it's not necessarily that we had more Christians back then. It's just that we've taken a hard turn in culture. We've started believing different things. We don't believe what the Bible says anymore. We, we've taken a hard turn. And so now kids, right, remember, remember being a kid, like all that was, all that there was, all that there was, right? Girls that had big feet like me and you were taller than all the boys and you had buck teeth and all those things, all those things. Now there's all these other things that are added to kids. And it's a hard time to be a kid. And so we as adults, we are now called to help other families who are raising their kids and encourage kids in the Lord and encourage kids in the right ways to live because I'm telling you, other people are encouraging people in other ways, okay? And so the silence is over, friends. The school system is not doing it and I'm not speaking, I'm just saying, the silence is over, okay? You need your group group of friends. You need your community. Talk to your, your friends' kids, Encourage them, because we need a whole community of people raising these kids. Remember, it takes a village. Okay, Um, so, all right. Let's start with the first one, Brandon. Okay, here's my reminder. For we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what's behind all these. We have compassion for people, right? We have compassion for people that are angry that babies 
will not be able to be aborted in the womb anymore. Compassion, because there's been a deception somewhere in there, right? Not mad at the person, but compassion, but we're going to stand for truth, right? We're going to say what's, what's truthful, right? Because that's not judging. Let's, let's get rid of that fallacy. Like, saying what's true is not judging. Saying, I would do it better than that person, and why would they do it that way, and that's a bad person, that's judging. Saying what's right and true is not judgment, right? It's separate from people, okay? So I feel like that's being thrown at us in our culture, don't you? Just like, you better just be quiet, right? I watched this interview. This guy was going around on college campuses, and he was saying he was a five foot ten guy with blonde hair, blue eyes. And he went up to someone and said, what if I told you that I was a six foot five Chinese woman? And this person said, good for you. This college student, good for you, you be you. Well, he said what I said, you be you. <laughs> and he's like, really? You, you could accept that I was a, a six foot five Chinese woman. And the guy's like, I don't know, you could have some Chinese ancestors and you, you, you could, he said the six foot five part, I don't know if I could, I was like, oh, the six foot five part is the only part he has trouble with. But UBU is this new kind of thing. Like, is, he said, what if I told you I was a seven year old and I was going to go to first grade next year? He was like, well, there'd be cultures that would accept you if you, maybe you didn't feel like you got enough out of first grade. Or I was like, oh my goodness, friends. Are you going to be okay if a 45-year-old man comes and sits in your child's first grade class because he thinks he's seven years old? I mean, you think that sounds crazy, right? But are we in a lot of crazy right now? We've got to say what's true and not judge people, right? We say what's true, right? We don't say, I'm better than you. You're, we're, we're on the same page. Okay, next one. Okay, here's what your kids are encountering at college, or these are top-selling books. Richard Dawkins, he says, his book is called Outgrowing God. He says, the intelligently mature thing to do is to leave God behind with all of your other childhood fantasies. Next one. Zoltan Istvan, he says, it's hard for me to fathom how religious people get so brainwashed. Next one. Okay, now this one I agree with. Sway so says, the greatest conflict of the 21st century will be between modern civilization and anti-modernists, between those who believe in the primacy of the individual and those who believe that human beings owe their allegiance and identity to a higher power, between those who believe in, well, I believe in some of this, those who believe in science, reason, and logic, and those that believe that the truth is revealed through the scriptures and religious dogma. So do you see what's happening here? There's never scriptures and science, reason, and logic. They're separate from each other. So that's the sneaky ways that things get put before us. Um, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, people. Talking about love, okay? Love, the most powerful force on earth. Love is love. Okay, and so what we've, what we've determined to do is to say that we're going to use this word love to um, kind of soften what we're trying to say, right? Because everyone's about love. Everybody love love in here? I love love. But the reason that I cannot agree with this is because this book right here tells me that that is not the best life for you, and he's not guessing. 
I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're evil. I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm saying if you're asking, if you're asking, I'm saying God would say that this isn't the best life for you. Okay, I tried that one time with a lady that was cutting my hair. She told me she was a Christian. And by the way, like 65% of Americans say that they are Christians. 6% of Americans say that they follow the Bible as their guidebook. There's a big, you know, big gap in there. And she said, uh, we have already, we'd already talked about our faith a lot. She cuts my hair. And one day she said, I, I marched in the pride, the pride parade this last week. I said, you did. And she said, you probably don't think that that's okay. You probably wouldn't do that. I said, well, can I just say, without getting into all that, the reason I wouldn't do that is because this book tells me that that's not the best life for those people. And so I don't just use my own ideas of what's right, what's wrong. I'm not, but I would just say, that's why I wouldn't go to that and support that. Never did she let me have my hair cut by her again. When I called her the next time to get my hair cut, she was not taking any more appointments. She told another customer that goes to church here that I was shoving the Bible down her throat. And so just so you know, like, even if you do it the most gentle, loving way, and someone says you're shoving the Bible down my throat, we cannot take that personally unless we're really being unkind. But I mean, sometimes there's just no nice way to say anything, right? And I really do believe that if this book says, no matter what my mind thinks, like, if I didn't know Jesus, this is the honest truth, I love children, but I would probably think if a woman took a day after pill, I would maybe be fine with that because there's no, no heartbeat yet right? I'm really getting deep, guys. I'm sorry. This, if this is too much, I love y'all. I promise. But that would be my own thinking, right? I would think you be you. Let's, let me not get in people's business. But this word tells me differently. This word also tells me that I'm not going to be popular and I need to stop trying to be. And so not purposely, not in your face, not I know better than you. Not, attitude is everything, people. And when I have like, you know, you got it coming to you, I need to check my own self. Because I don't want anything bad happening to people. I want them to come to Jesus. And I'm a representative of him, of his. And so I want to present the truth in love as if I'm just saying to someone, I'm not judging you for what, you're, what you've chosen or how you've been tricked into something or a bad choice you've made. I'm just saying, I really believe this. He's not guessing. Go ahead. Okay, what am I gonna tell you about this? I hear from people all the time and I feel like I have a revelation on this. Like, is that too strong of a word? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I hear people say, I was born with these tendencies. Y'all have heard this too. I was born with tendencies towards, mainly what we're talking about now is same-sex attraction, right? Where people say, I was born this way. I do not doubt that people are born with certain tendencies, right? The Bible talks about that. Sins of the Father are passed down through the generations. People are, can be born to, I don't have a tendency towards anger. That's never been a issue of mine. I'm thankful. I've not done anything to not have that tendency. But I do have a close friend who from childhood has had anger issues. They can remember like throwing things through a window. Right now, if you went to my friend's house, there is a punch in their wall in the bathroom and there is a kicked in uh, back door. Just like he says, I lose myself and then I come back. 
He said, and I can remember this my whole life, okay? I am not going to say to that person, you know what, you were just made that way. God just made you that way. And I really believe the Lord gave me that picture of that so I can help other people see that in their life. I'll tell you, my, my own story is that I cannot remember a time not dealing with like a fear popping up, like where I couldn't sleep. Like, and I know some people, my husband would say, I don't ever remember that as a child or older. And of course, we had different family life. But I don't want someone to say to me, you know what, you were born that way. You're just going to have to be anxious and fearful your whole entire life. But you all can say about yourself, tendencies you have, you're like, wow, I, my spouse doesn't have this problem that I have. And God tells us in his word that he has freedom and deliverance for that. But if we keep telling people, it's fine, you were born that way. I accept you just like that. It's not that I don't love them as a person, but I want them to be whole and healthy. Okay, and so next slide. The culture is now redefining words. This is a new thing. Okay, so when your kids are talking to you and they're talking about words, we cannot think that they're talking about the same words that we're familiar with, right? Equality to us when we were growing up mean every human is of equal and inherent value. It is now being redefined as um, Sexual choices are equal moral value. That word equality somehow has morphed into this small little thing like of meaning that when people say, we're about equality. I was like, I'm about equality too. What are you talking about? That was a shocker to me a little bit. Diversity used to be believing in the benefit of discussing multiple viewpoints, multiple viewpoints, multiple viewpoints is now redefined to elevating viewpoints that have been made popular and silencing those who don't agree, right? Redefinition, tolerance, respecting ideas differing from your own is now affirming what is portrayed as the moral consensus or you are canceled, right? The redefinition of these words. Um, have you heard of progressive Christianity? It's a new thing that's out there. It is Jesus was a, someone to be respected, highly, highly esteemed, and he wants me to love others, and he wants me to fight for social justice by whatever means possible. And also, loving others means I come alongside you, and whatever choices you're making, I support you in your choices. And so this is no longer the authority. It's loving people for whatever's going on, because it's hard to say things to people, isn't it? And again, we're not supposed to be talking to everybody, but the people that God gives you to, the people who are asking, um, we are. And conversations with kids, I can't say this enough. If you're not talking to your kids about the things that are going on in school and going on on their social media, and uh, I, I guarantee you that they have thoughts that you don't know. Okay, next one. Okay, I, I cannot recommend this book enough, and we're going to start having parenting classes using this book if you're interested in learning more about what we're talking about right now. We're going to learn about having how to have conversations with your kid, conversation starters, what's going on in our society right now, so that there'll be sign-ups for that. But she writes, in our society today, with ourself as our own authority, happiness is the goal. 
Feelings are our guide. Judging is the ultimate sin, and God is the ultimate guess. Because when you don't have uh, an instruction manual or a guidebook, whatever is the moral popular consensus is what people are choosing right now. How many of you have noticed that in front of you constantly are certain messages that are now in every movie, every social media, right before you over and over and over, which would have never been acceptable a a decade ago, and now it's before us constantly? Why? Because the more you see something, the more deadened you get to it, right? The more you see something, the more normalized it seems. And so that's why we're seeing things so much. It's like, gee whiz, how are we seeing this thing over and over again? Because how you get right and wrong when you don't have God showing you is it's whatever the popular consensus is saying is right now. If you, we're talking about normalization of things, right? And we can't think that our kids have lived the life that we've lived. They haven't had all the training and all the voices and all the life experience that we've had. And so you think, my kid would never believe any of that stuff. I'm telling you, if they're hearing it over and over and over again, they might be thinking, I, I don't really know. I'm, I'm confused, right? I didn't even know I had to pick a gender. Okay, um, they have this thing, shout your abortion, Okay, and I have such compassion for people that have had abortions. There's no judgment here whatsoever. Okay, and but the whole idea is like if you shout it and tell the world about it, then there's it makes it seem like it was just okay because it's no no big deal. I'm proud of it. I'm going to shout it. And how about have you heard of the drag queen story times that they're having in schools now? Right where if children can accept these people, surely the adults can too, right? And so what, what this is, is these drag queens come and they have story time and read them stories about their lifestyle and other lifestyles. And they're allowing this in elementary schools and libraries. Yeah, okay. And then I think I'm getting towards the end. Love y'all. <laughs> but we, uh, there's this, should we always be, constructing and deconstructing our faith. You know, things I believe today, I didn't believe a long time ago. You know, I, you know, I, I went to a very conservative church when I first became a believer, and trusting and speaking in tongues and the miraculous took me a bit. I had to deconstruct some other things and construct some things and um, all kinds of areas, healing, wholeness, deliverance, knowing that God would do anything to come rescue me. Those were all things that, through experiences and through knowing other people that were front runners. Um, But now there's a thing called deconstructing your faith where it's deconstructed all together. My kids, anybody in here, a young person, used to watch Rhett and Link? Okay. My kids did. They were big, you're big fans. And... um, Rhett and Link came out and they have now deconstructed their whole faith. My kids used to watch them when they were strong believers and they were putting great content out there. And now they are now sharing how, how they aren't believers anymore and why, step by step. And my kids' old youth pastors that were from another church, they used to go to a youth group at another church, they have now come out with they're not believers anymore. And here's the reasons why, step by step, they have a whole podcast talking about it about um, the freedom they've received and you should do this too and the doubts you have, I have them too. And it's step by step. 
um, teaching you how to deconstruct your faith and the new freedom you'll find with yourself as your authority. um, Some of them are saying like, I could no longer hate people for being LGBTQ. And what would you say? No one's asking you to, right? Like all these comments that have a message behind it, like if you're a believer, you're being asked to hate people. You're being asked to, and it's not true. It's just misinformation. Is that all? Do I have one more? Do you know that in 1983, there were 50 companies that own 90% of the media, and today six companies own 90% of the media? That's frightening. Uh, If a person speaks out against someone teaching their child in the classroom about same-sex marriage in an elementary school, it's called hate speech. But if a person speaks out against Christianity, it's freedom of speech. Media has shaped more thinking than we know. Thank you. Um, And there's this whole thing that secularism is neutral, right? We want secularism because it's neutral. Everyone has a basis for what they believe. You know, there's nothing neutral, If someone believes in abortion, it's not secular. They have a whole list of things that they believe that got them to that place and so on and so forth. Um, And next, and I'm going to close with scriptures, but I I just want to make sure that my heart is shared from what I have in my heart completely. I would be, if I did not have this direction manual, right? If I did not have this, I would be thinking all the same ways. So there's no judgment of people on my part. I'm just saying that we are to hold out to people truths to help them live their best, freest life in a culture that's telling us that there's whatever goes. You be you, okay? And so um, my encouragement is talk to your kids. Be... Parents to your friends' kids as well. Bring up conversations. Have kids over for meals. They have a lot going on. Ask them how they're doing and listen, right? Here's one thing I've learned. Time with someone, having time with someone causes all kinds of things to open up, okay? You're probably not going to have a conversation when you're just passing each other in the hallway. But you have some kids over and you sit around a table you're going to have some great conversations and you're going to be speaking truths into kids' lives. So be investors, be mother and fathers to kids, not only of your own, but other children. That's my ask for today. And here's some encouragement. You know, Jesus did these things too. He said, he, he gave people directives just like I'm doing today too, saying, watch out for this. And oh, there's this over here. And Okay. Do not be do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you then you will be able to test and approve what God's will, his good pleasing will is. And the last one, I think I have here. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elementary spirit elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. 
For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.